Let us pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, you alone can rescue, you alone can save. Uh, Father, we just thank you that only one has power over the grave. And we thank you, Lord, that you've called us to yourself. Lord, just pray that you'd still our hearts now. We just thank you that you left us with your Holy Spirit. We thank you that your Spirit helps us in, in our weakness. And we just pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would guide us in, into all truth. We just pray that your Spirit would take what Jesus wants to say to each one of us tonight, Lord, and, and imprint it on our hearts. And we just pray, Lord, that your spirit would open understanding of things still to be. Lord, would you bless us tonight as we search your word and we look at Abraham and we see ourselves and all our frailties, our failure to obey you, Lord. And we just call on you for forgiveness for that. We just pray, Lord, that you would open the eyes of our hearts now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Mark told me tonight, or just as I was coming down, he said, you've got nine hours 45 of battery there. Will that be enough? So I think we might just manage with that. Uh, we should be okay. We might just be inside of that. But anyway, it's good to be continuing um, this story of um, Abraham. I'm sorry, I'm just going to have to excuse <laughs> Just in case I forget one or two things I was going to say. So, anyway, when I was a kid, one of the things I loved to do was to try and find the biggest cheesers. Now, if you're under 30 here, you might be looking at me with a bit of a strange face. What's this guy talking about? Well, you got these cheesers in autumn time. You might have had to knock them off a high tree. And we used to play a game with them in school. And some people even roasted them and ate them. Now, the first thing you had to do was to find a good spot to get the cheesers. And I was lucky because my best friend, there was a little laneway beside his house. And there was a really good cheeser tree at the end of that laneway, and it just backed onto the Loop River. Now, if you're from East Belfast, you'll know where the Loop River is. If you're from Cullybacky, you've no chance. But anyway, you'll know where the Craiga Road is, and the Loop River actually runs under the roundabout there. So if you're going past, you can keep out an eye for the Loop River. But sometimes I would go a bit further afield, maybe into Beaver Forest or up the Lagan Towpath, even to Dundrum on a school trip in search of the best cheesers. And it was a pursuit not without danger, let me tell you, because you can imagine six or seven eager young guys with big walloping sticks, throwing them into the tree, and then you had to go and retrieve it and just hope that the, one of your mates didn't come crashing through the branches and land on your head. And so the price was to knock down the largest conquer. I loved whenever you peeled back the bruised, prickly old skin and inside was this gleaming, brown, shining chestnut. But more of that 
later. Tonight we're going to continue with the story of Abraham. And as I said at the beginning last week, Paddy told us about their decision not to trust God, to take matters into their own hands. And sadly, and not surprisingly, it left a lot of unhappy people. And then they had a son through the servant, Hagar. Fast forward 13 years, and God appears to Abram at the age of 99. So if you're here tonight and you're in your 90s, great news for you. God still speaks to you. That's really good news. No matter. So if you're in your early 90s, great. Now, if you're in your 80s tonight, let me tell you, you're still a youngster. And so God has great, great plans for you. And as I say, if you're in your 70s, like Dennis there, you'll have to dust down the trainers again because there's lots to be done. And so here we have God appearing to Abram at the age of 99, one year short of his centenary, to bring him one of the greatest and most incredible promises ever made to his people. Look at verse 1 with me, if you will. And it says this, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. Um, And this was a call to come into God's immediate presence. Walk before me. It's something different to walk alongside me or walk behind me or whatever. Walk, Walk before me. It was to show reverence, to be changed and to demonstrate holiness. And this was a necessity. It was a rite of purification, in essence, in advance of God revealing this great covenant to Abram and in turn to the Jewish people. So it is indeed a reminder to each one of us not to be casual when we approach God. And when I say that, I don't mean casual clothes. I mean casual about how we approach him inwardly in our heart. We worship a holy God and we have to give him the honor and the glory that is due to his precious name. Verse 2, God reveals the first part of his covenant that he would greatly increase Abram's numbers. Now, can you imagine Abram's relief here? He thought he had blown it. God had promised him a son through Sarah, his wife. He and Sarah decided to try and speed up the process. They took matters into their own hand. And not only had he failed to wait on God, but he had agreed to sleep with another woman and ended up with a child, Ishmael. So if you're here tonight and you reckon you've blown it because you've made a bad mistake in the past or you've done something recently that you're not proud of or you failed to do something, let me tell you, God is a God of second chances. I wouldn't be standing up here if God wasn't a God of second chances. God is a God of second chances and he'll dust you down again and he'll give you an opportunity to start afresh. 
Note Abraham's, Abraham's humility. We're told that he prostrated himself. He fell face down before his holy God. And you know, it's not easy, is it? None of us like this thing, humility. Uh, we tend to like to be in the spotlight, most of us. We like to have the plaudits. We like the likes. Uh, it's not in our keeping uh, to be humble, necessarily. So, again, a good example here from Abram and how he approached our Heavenly Father. And then we move on to the covenant itself. Um, verse 4. And this is more than an undertaking. It was more than a promise. A covenant was effectively a legally binding agreement. Um, both parties to the covenant had obligations to fulfill. So if you were to let a house, you will get a leasing agreement. And within that leasing agreement, both the lessor, who's the landlord, and the lessee, who would be you, have covenants, obligations. So the lessor, he might covenant to maintain that house in a worthy state, to maintain it in good order. And you, as the lessee, might covenant to say to pay the rates or not to hang your washing out in the balcony or something like that. So there's covenants within uh, a, an, ag an agreement like that. And uh, God's covenant, well, first of all, he said that Abram would be the father of many nations. Now, this was suggestive to me of the diaspora or the dispersion of the Jews across Europe and the world. Um, in 1933, it was estimated that there were 15.3 million Jews worldwide. And of that, 9.5 million of those Jews lived in Europe. Now, I'm sorry, that's maybe not very clear, but that shows the way the, the countries that the Jews had spread out uh, from Canaan, where they um, originally were located. And of course, two out of three European Jews were very sadly uh, slaughtered in the Holocaust. The number of Jews is now estimated to be 15 million again. And that's interesting because it shows not only the resilience of the Jews, but it also shows us that God's promises are true. And when he said that the covenant would be everlasting, he meant it. And it also pointed to a time when the covenant would extend to the Gentiles, not just Jews, but those like us who placed our trust in Jesus Christ. Effectively, we were grafted in uh, to Abraham's line and lineage, and that promise uh, holds for us as well. And to indicate this covenant, both Abram and Sarah, or Sarai, would change their name. Abram would become Abraham, and Sarai would become Sarah. Now, as Sarah here will probably be able to tell you, Sarah means princess, and that indicates that she was of, going to be of, of royal status. It pointed to a time in the future when the royal line would not only produce a king, 
But this line would produce the King of Kings, our Lord Jesus Christ, Saviour of the world. And God's covenant then continues in verse 6. We are told, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations. Kings shall come from you. Now, you have to bear in mind that that Abraham is 99. And I know we've already explained before that people lived longer in those days. But still, he was a fairly uh, elderly man. And these are incredible promises that God made to him. And the third one there, king shall come from you, was a pointer not just to the time when the kings would replace the old judges as the rulers of Israel, but also in the future when God would become incarnate through his son. And the old covenant would be replaced by this new covenant in the Savior's blood. This agreement between God and his people would extend to Abraham's offspring and we're told that he would be their God and that this promise would be for everlasting. Verse 8 confirms that the land of Canaan would be their possession. Now, what I want you to note in particular in verse 8 there is that Abraham is described as an alien. He's described as an alien in this land of Canaan. Now I think that's noteworthy because it's a reminder to each one of us here to travel light, not to accumulate too much. Remember we're passing through this world and we shouldn't cleave to it too dearly. It's some t- something that we're all maybe guilty of at some time. One of my favorite groups is, is a local group or a local singer, Neil Hannon of some of you might have heard of the group Divine Comedy. And he has a song which is entitled, I'm a Stranger Here. And that is indeed what we are. The passage then continues um, to consider Abraham's side of the bargain. Every male of eight days old or more must be circumcised. And this applied not only to the family, but extended to servants slaves and anyone else living in the household now bearing in mind this long preceded general anesthetic morphine or even painkillers uh, i've got to say that i'm sure some of the the jewish people were thinking well could god not have asked us to grow a long beard or maybe had her head shaved instead but Unfortunately, that, this was to be their side of the bargain. And verse 11 says, this will be a sign of the covenant. And I want to emphasize that, that word sign. In other words, it was a physical and no doubt painful indication of their acceptance of God's covenant. It was not, however, evidence that they were living in obedience and communion with God. And that's what I want to focus on just a little further on. God promises that Abraham will have a son through Sarah. Now, he'd already told Abraham that, and he could have very easily said, sorry, you didn't keep 
your side of the bargain. And unfortunately, you'll not have that son. But no, he didn't. He forgave. He showed mercy and he said, you'll still have that son through Sarah. And she was to be the matriarch of this great nation. And it was interesting then when God told him on this second occasion that he put a time limit on it. He gave him some comfort because previously he was just told it would happen. He didn't know when it would happen. But here we're told within 12 months you will have a son through Sarah. So that must have taken a lot of the unease. But yet it was interesting then when we continue on it was greeted with disbelief by both Abraham and Sarah. We're told Abraham laughed and he questioned the authenticity of God's promise. I remember just what our starting uh, line was, never doubt God, never doubt God. And so easily don't we find ourselves doubting and yet God's word is always true. So here we have a reminder not only to believe in God's promises, but also to wait on his perfect timing. And if you're a bit younger here tonight, this is particularly important to you. So if you're having to make a, a, a serious life decision, for instance, whether to marry or not, the choice of partner, what career you might go into, whether you might change your career. Major decisions such as that or how you're going to serve your God here. Then remember Scott's talk last Sunday, Psalm 27. And verse 14 says this, Wait on the Lord, be strong, take heed and wait for the Lord. Now waiting on the Lord isn't easy, but if you do, you'll save yourself a lot of hurt and regret. And just to remember, you know, his timing isn't always yours. And in this world of today, we want everything immediate. We don't want to wait on anything. And so it's important to remember that. And uh, as I say, when, if you take anything away from tonight, just remember that, that verse from Psalm 27. So God instructed Abraham that his son should be called Isaac. Isaac from the Hebrew Yitzhak, which means one who laughs or rejoices. And I thought this was good because I thought it showed that God does have a sense of humor. And it would be a constant reminder to Abraham about his response to God. And that he should never doubt his word in the future. Every time he called his son. But God's generosity extended not only uh, to Abraham and to Sarai. But also to Ishmael. And we're told that he also would be blessed. Fruitful. The father of twelve princes and ultimately a great nation. See verse 21. Now this was distinct from the 12 tribes. The 12 tribes of Israel would come from Isaac's line. 
but Ishmael would also um, be the father of 12 princes and a great nation. Now, Muslims believe that Muhammad was a direct descendant of Ishmael. Um, and I'm not sure what they base that on because as far as I'm aware, and I'm, I'm sure Marty will correct me if I'm wrong, that um, in, in the Quran, there are no genealogies or whatever the way we would have uh, in the Bible. But the response here was to Abraham's anguished request that Ishmael would not fall outside God's blessing. And it just reveals the abundance of God's generosity. And whenever you, whenever you bring things to God and whether you, you trust in him and whenever you, you give uh, generously to, to others, God will abundantly bless you. He'll not just bless you, he'll abundantly bless you. Verses 23 to 27 des describe how Abraham then fulfilled the, his side of the covenant by completing the circumcision of the entire household. Look at what it says, verse 23. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household or bought with his money every male in his household and circumcised them as God told them. And what I want you to really think about are those words on that very day. On that very day. He didn't prevaricate. He didn't put it off. And I'm sure uh, he'd have been quite happy to put it off but he straight ahead he went and followed and obeyed God's command now there are some things that we should take our time over and we should mull over consider deeply what way we go but equally there are times when God will command you to, to, to do something and whilst you might not hear him physically the way Abraham did you might be so convicted in your heart that that's God speaking to you and that he's telling you to act now, not to put it off. And so, at the, you know, as, as I said, there'll be some things in your life that you have to consider. One is the call to accept Christ's salvation. So if you're not a Christian, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3 says this, how can we escape if we neglect so great a salvation. And Marty was telling us this morning about the waters rising, and there comes a time whenever it's too late that the waters have just taken over us, and there's a decision to be made now. Now is the appointed time. Equally, if you're a Christian, are you just treading water? Is God calling you maybe to reach out to a neighbor in need? Or maybe to spend more quality time with him in the quiet place. So is God calling you to an on that very day action? So what type of circumcision are we called to? Well, in the book of Romans, it is described as a circumcision of the heart. And it refers to having a pure heart, a heart separated unto God. At the beginning, I made reference to the chestnut. And like it, we have to shed this prickly, battered old outer shell to reveal the shining glaze of our inner being, perfected by the grace of Jesus. Paul makes reference to an inward circumcision 
by the Holy Spirit, a spiritual rebirth. Romans chapter 8, verse 10 says, But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And Paul would also make reference at another time to our outer body as a tent. This physical body, but our circumcised spirit, covered by Jesus' imputed righteousness, will rise when we place our trust in him and walk with him. This wasn't a new idea. God used this uh, description in Deuteronomy 30 verse 6. And it says this, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul, that you may live. And fast forward 2,000 years, and you remember Jesus was asked, What is the greatest command? And so in a nutshell, we have the, the gateway here to keeping this greatest command of all, uh, whenever our heart is spiritually circumcised. So whilst physical circumcision was a sign of Israel's covenant with God, circumcision of the heart was the outworking of the covenant Israel set apart to love God with all their heart and with all their soul and strength and mind. But how do we achieve this spiritual circumcision of the heart? I want very briefly just to suggest four ways. First of all, to cast off all that hinders. Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let's run with perseverance the race marked out for us fixing our eyes on Jesus. So is there an addiction that's dragging you down? It might even be an addiction to social media. It might even be an addiction to image or being liked. Is there a sin that you keep repeating? Are there friends or acquaintances that are taking you in the opposite direction from Jesus? We're reminded here to fix our eyes on Jesus. This is much more than an occasional glance. This means committing each day not to take our eyes off the Savior. And secondly, refining in the fire. Zechariah 13 verse 9 says, And I will bring the third part through the fire, and I will refine them as silver is refined, and try them as gold is tried, and they shall call my name, and I will hear them. All of us who trust in Jesus will go through this process. We'll face troubles. It's often painful, if not physically, certainly emotionally. But God will burnish us and gradually remove all those old imperfections, provided we call on his name. Walking with God is a third thing. If we go walking with somebody we're fond of, we might hold their hand. We might put our arm around them. It's an indication of our feelings for them. And so it is with our Heavenly Father. There are two aspects to this walk. Humility, which I've already mentioned, and nearness. And nearness doesn't happen by accident. Nearness is something you have to be in constant touch with the person. So you have to be in constant touch with your Heavenly Father. 
And fourthly, obedience. So you'll remember the story of Saul being commanded to annihilate, annihilate the Amalekites and he was to destroy everything, including all the animals. But what did he do? He kept over a few of the choice sheep and he also kept the king alive as well. And Samuel arrived on the scene and he was going to deny everything. And the next thing, of course, you heard was the bleeding of the sheep. And it gave him away. And Samuel said to him, to obey is better than to sacrifice. So it doesn't, wouldn't have mattered how many animals that Saul had sacrificed. Uh, he had failed to keep God's command. And so in conclusion, what might this look like in practice for us? So first of all, there's a call to walk humbly. This is a call to servanthood. It's to place others before yourself. Romans chapter 15, 8 and 9 says, Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. Jesus reminded us on numerous occasions that his call and ours is one to servanthood. One of my favorite stories is Jesus washing the disciples' feet. It's incredible to think that the King of Kings and Savior of the world stooped down and did that. What are you doing by way of loving your neighbor as yourself? Have you an issue in doing menial tasks in God's name? And do you need to examine how you're serving God in this community around us? You're going to have a real opportunity in a, in a, in a couple of weeks' time. But Marty will tell you more about that. And, and secondly, I would suggest a call to pray unceasingly. First uh, Thessalonians 5 verse 16 says this, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks to God in all circumstances. So have you set aside a quiet place? And have you time to meet with God? Have you set enough time aside to meet with God? You know, that's one of the great things about uh, working from home. I have found it a lot easier to do that because we don't have the journey time into work. So there already is 30 minutes or more saved uh, in the morning. And if you were to get up at the same time, if you're like me, and a lot of people maybe don't have uh, any longer or only have to go in certain days. So are you spending quality time with Jesus every day? And have you considered how you might uh, put Paul's command into practice in your own, in your own life? I know, I know some of the guys here work in hospitals and under tremendous pressure. And there maybe is a little opportunity, just as you're going along, just mutter a, a brief prayer to your Heavenly Father just to help you in a, in a situation like that where you feel overwhelmed. Or someday in work or in in university that really rubs you up in the wrong way. Just a, a few words to God, Lord, just help me to be salt and light, to be your fragrance to this person, uh, and may they see you by how I act. So are you inviting God to guide your decisions, and both in big and small matters? And I had a lovely little illustration this week. I was cycling down the Greenway, Cumber Greenway, back towards home and I saw this little lad about three years old pedaling furiously 
His wee legs were going like pistons, and his face was just a picture, absolutely bursting with glee. A few steps behind was his dad, head down, the mobile phone. And I thought, how sad. He's there in body, but he's not there in spirit. He missed a magic moment with his child's face just to look at his mobile phone and he'd never recapture it again. So I wonder tonight, are you a slave to your mobile phone? Are you even taking your mobile phone into the quiet time so that you're looking at texts or whatever? There's a time that you just need uh, to put it by. And finally, you'll be glad to hear hallelujah, a call. And now, this is an optical illusion. You might think, think it says here a call to Savior Christ. It actually is to Savior Christ, but it can be to Savior Christ as well. And John Piper, in his excellent book, Saying and Savoring Jesus Christ, quotes Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. And it says this, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. He contrasts the physical saying of Jesus, his disciples enjoyed, with the spiritual saying through the eyes of our heart that you and I must pursue. Savoring Jesus Christ, as Piper puts it, and I want you to listen to this. Try not to be distracted. You're nearly there. Now, he describes it as this, is the response to the second type of saying, when you see something as true and beautiful and valuable, you savor it. That is, you treasure it, you cherish, admire, and prize it. So consider that tonight. Are you savoring Jesus? Are you treasuring, cherishing, admiring, and prizing your Savior above all? Let us pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your promises, Lord. We thank you, Father, that we can trust your promises, that your promises are always true. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to be humble. Help us to remember that we worship a holy God and to be humble. Help us, Lord to come near to you in the week that lies ahead. Help us, Lord, to come close. Come to those still waters, Lord, and drink of your loving water. And Father, help us to remember unceasing prayer, even a few words during the course of the day, maybe the Lord's Prayer, or maybe a prayer for someone we're passing or somebody who's troubled in work, Lord. And Father, finally, a call, Lord, help us to savor Jesus Christ, our Savior. Help us to cherish, to adore, to treasure Jesus, our Savior. Amen.